Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. I'm Tom Haberstro. Tom, what are we doing here? <laughs> I don't know, man. This is this is really really exciting. Um, this was born out of a run that we had around the Rose Bowl a few months ago, and we were talking about podcasts and the way it's kind of fragmented, and some people are taking their passions and turning into a podcast. And we were discussing Top Chef, our favorite show, and we were like, "Let's just record a podcast because we're already discussing it for thirty minutes. Why don't we just hit the record button?" Yeah, I mean, basically, the premise is is we are two sports writers who follow Top Chef the way fans follow 
our sport, the NBA. We love we love the storylines. We love the X's and O's of the preparation in the kitchen and the execution. We love the personalities. We love the game theory. And we're going to cover season 15 of Top Chef, which premieres, I believe, on Thursday, December 7th. We're going to do an episode recap like it's Game of Thrones, like it's The Wire, like whatever it is that you, you, you listen to. And we're going to essentially approach this fantastic competitive reality show the way uh, you might follow the NBA or the NFL or your favorite sport. Yeah, and we're going to add another layer of fun and intrigue and a little bit of skin in the game. We're going to do a little bit of fantasy, kind of like – Explain uh, this one. So fantasy – Draft on Top Chef is something that my wife has done uh, with me. We watch the show. We love it. Turns out like she had her guys and girls. I had my guys and girls. And we were like, why don't we just in the next season just draft? We watch one episode. We get a little feel for all the contestants. We get a little, you know, we we know who we like, who we don't like. And we would just alternate drafting contestants. And then we had a scoring system. You know, if you pe- place in the top three, you get a point. Uh, if you win the whole competition, you get X points and it made it so much more fun. So in the way that if you don't watch NFL football, but you kind of like hanging around with your buddies and, and, you know, making a little social aspect of it, there was fantasy football or whatever. There's fantasy everything now. And I thought fantasy top chef is just tailor made for the show because there's competition, there's personalities and there's a little bit of gamesmanship, right? There's a lot of like, okay, this person comes from a really strong background, but I just don't think they're going to be able to do the whole 30 minute on a timer, 15 minute on a timer, uh, producing a great meal. So there's a lot of that. And I just feel like it'd be perfect for this show. It's one of the great debates of the show, right? Like, I mean, one thing I always wonder who's going to win it all. Right. Yeah. Well, and yeah. even beyond that, like, so I, I feel like it's this very specific skill. It's sort of like in our business, you know, we, we know amazing sports writers and but this is the the sports. This is the cooking equivalent of can you file 500 words at the buzzer, irrespective of what happened in the game? And can they be coherent and read like a story? And I always wonder, like, with I mean, the thing about Top Chef that's interesting and and, you know, I've talked to other chefs about this. If you lined up the 16 contestants on a show and said, okay, you've got two and a half weeks to prepare a feast and you judge them at the completion of that feast, would the order be the same as a top chef season? In other words, is a chef who just cannot, because I can't do, I mean, Tom, you and I cook, I can't do shit in 15 minutes. When I see what these chefs do in a quick fire challenge, I essentially create this I mean, it's like it's basically like watching LeBron. Like I don't not only can I not do it, I can't even conceive of having the biomechanics to do it. Like I I can't beat a fucking egg in 15 minutes. It's crazy. I always feel like maybe we can bring on some contestants and bring them on the show, this podcast and ask them, is it 15 minutes or do they just add an extra five? Like, is it is it 15 minutes? It's a, is it a soft 15 minutes? Because there's no way that these people like I feel like there's got to be so many more examples of people when when Padma says hands up, utensils down that they didn't complete their meal. No, I know. It's like you watch that thing. There's like 30 minutes on the clock and then Padma comes around and says, oh, what do you made for us today? And he's like, oh, I did a four hour braise <laughs> in like in 30 minutes. Like it. But it, I mean, it does underscore. I mean, that actually it's funny because I think. The quick fires are where I have the greatest appreciation for the talent just because, again, like I do OK in my kitchen. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm proud of some of my 
my work, but like at the end of the day, it takes me to do any kind of meal that's that's worth doing. I mean, with some possible exceptions, you have some of those hack meals that like you know you can make in thirty minutes and they'll be really good. But by PB and J, yeah, or just like you know, like anything <laughs> with an egg or, or you know whatever. But it's um, but I'm just always do you, I'm always amazed. Uh, you got a favorite season? I was thinking about it today. Um, a favorite season, without going with recency bias, because that's the first, the last few seasons. What you, you can think go of, with recency one, bias if you want. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with season four. I think season four is when I fell in love with the show. My wife and I, we were dating at the time. I think it was 2007, 2008, and it was kind of our show. Um, Wait, season four, I believe, was Chicago. Sorry, season five. Season five. Season five was that. That was Fabio year, right? Yeah, Stefan season, and Fabio. Fabio. Was season, season four five. was actually season four was a very sneaky good season because I think it was it was Chicago. It was it was the first season where the depth of talent really revealed itself. Like there was no restaurant war, which I did not like. They did like a wedding instead, but there was good tension. There was like just enough assholery. There was nice gender parody for the first time. I thought uh, that was a Stephanie Izzard. Uh, season and Richard Blaze, I think, was the runner-up along with Antonia. So that was a really good season. But you're, you're a season five guy. Season five, Fabio and Stefan, Buddy Cop, just they were going at it. Just there, it was a great season in terms of characters on the show. Um, Fabio was, had my favorite line in the history of Top Chef, which, which was, is, it, "This is not Top Scallop. This is Top Chef." Uh, <laughs> and he did. Which, you which is like his my, Italian accent in there too. Right, right, right. It was just, it was just, it was, it was, it was just perfect because I mean, first of all, I love it for for two reasons. A, it was just like one of the, you know, kind of the great takedowns of all time. But B, also, I related <laughs> because I like if you come to my house ten times, you will get a scallop at least five times, and seven I, times. I've been to your house. I think you've cooked me scallops. I think I, I would say it's, it's seven out of ten. So it, yeah, I mean, scallops are great because. A, like everybody figured out in the last 15 years, they're just delicious raw. So you can do a crudo and crudos are sort of the, the, the secret weapon in, in one's cooking repertoire because it's if you if you get good fish and you cut it well, it's ridiculously easy to do. Um, it, it, one of the reasons like Jeremy Reed, who I think won one of the seasons, still got a little shade from Tom like, oh, another crudo. Ah. So scallops are great because they're great raw and you can do cool things with them. Just a little acid. It works wonderfully. And pan-seared scallop is the easiest elevated food you will ever make. Like you just have well, to find something to put it on top of, like a puree or or a good vegetable or something. Or The or, guy you're talking about is Jeremy Ford. And oh, Jeremy Ford. From, Did I say Jeremy Reed? I meant Jeremy Ford. I'm sorry. Jeremy Ford is – he has a new restaurant in Miami called Stubborn Seed and he was called Crudo Bro by um, <laughs> our pretty- friend – Fraud Nezer, who's who does Miami Food for Thought, the, one of the best food writers in America. Fraud Nezer um, in Miami calls him Crudo Bro because By the way, he, you can be he is a bro. Crudo Bro can cook for me anytime. You know why? Because raw fish is awesome, delicious, and it's healthy. Like I would eat four pounds of Crudo and call it a night. Like I got no problem with Crudo Bro. I am an absolute. I just love. I I love acid, and so when you when you. Re- Combine the fresh fish and the acid, the citrus, all of it is, you know, Miami, we, we both, for those who don't know, Miami was where Kevin and I got to be great friends. 
the food scene in Miami was fantastic. Always been really, fantastic. Love eating in Miami. Good high, but, low action, too, because you got the great ethnic joints. You got, like, the best jerk. There's Haitian food. Lots of Jews, so you get like that kind of situation. Obviously, Cuban stuff. Um, and then there's like Kevin, you it's brought great me seafood. to. We were the only white people for like ten square miles. I want to say when I'm you took white. me to Chef Tally's. You're not white. No, but um, you're tan. I mean, I'm some. I don't know. Like a, a, a larger identif- a, a larger conversation of identity. We won't get into. But but so but you the, you've you, eaten a lot of Jeremy Ford food, haven't you? Yes. Yes. Uh, Jeremy Ford, he actually did a dinner like kind of a um, you pay like 50 bucks and you go and eat a meal from a chef. It's kind of the new thing to do um, in America is to pay like a ticket, yeah. almost like going to a game. But you're getting a Jeremy Ford crudo masterpiece. Right. We're actually. And he, he we're going to have one of those chefs who specializes in that format on the show at some point. Yes. Yes. I'm excited for that. And uh, and he's he's great. And he plays the crowd. He's a great um, just a great presence. And that's probably why he was such a, a fan favorite on the show. Top Chef is he's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I feel like when we do this draft, Kevin, I'm going to pick a lot of people probably because I'm emotional about it. And, you know, me, I'm not an emotional guy when it comes to analysis. But on this show, I get. I, I the, the senses really get to me. So maybe if a guy is a complete um, clown on the show, uh, but he actually isn't really good at cooking, I'm probably going to vote for that clown because it's entertaining. I interrupted you, though. You were talking about season five. And I got season a five. Track. Yes, season five. Hosea won that season. I didn't think he really had it um, from the from the get go. I didn't think like that was one of those seasons where you're totally blindsided by the by the uh, victor. Actually, today. I was at breakfast with a murderer's row of sports writers. Jonathan Abrams from the BR Mag, formerly of the New York Times and Grantland. Um, Joe Posnanski from just about every publication you know. Uh, one of the best writers in the country. Just so happens to write about sports. Um, he all, also was joined at the table with Tommy Tomlinson, the four, four of us. Tommy Tomlinson, a great uh, magazine writer. Four of us were discussing Top Chef and apparently they're all huge fans of Top Chef except for Tommy. It totally and, appeals to sports writers. It's really interesting. And Paz was like, that season five, that was Fabio and Stefan and Carla. Carla won that season. And I said, yeah, Carla won that season. Well, she, came inside, Carla, she, came a second. she came a second. She didn't win that season. The guy, Josea, was so forgettable as the exactly. winner that I thought it was Carla. Uh, we both were convinced it was Carla. It turns out that it wasn't um, – it was Fabio, Stefan. It was Carlo. That was a, that and, was and what was memorable of that season. Great well, it's, character. It's very funny. If you, if you want a true sense of sort of the, the surprise factor, I, I don't know if you've done this, Tom. One of my absolute dork pleasures in life <laughs> when I'm tooling around the internet is to go. Have you been to like the Wikipedia Top Chef pages like by season? Yes. Yes. There is a grid at the bottom that is color coded. It has an entire grid of each contestant like in order of finish down one axis the other axis is episode and each box is marked by color if they won the episode they finished in the top three in the bottom three if they were just kind of in the inside and it is a fascinating examination because what it shows you is i mean you can kind of see dominance you can also see like i mean like fabio had i mean Fabio had like four wins, two. I mean, you get a sense of the dominance and whether or not there was. Like, there is something very fluky about Hosea because 
He had like four bottom three finishes in the first 12 episodes. I mean, basically any given time you turn on the TV, there was a one in three chance he was going to be on the chopping block. So he, he's sort of, I'm trying to think of the equivalent here, like the NBA. He's the Dallas Mavericks. He's the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Yes. He just, they just got into the playoffs and they just won at the, the best time possible. They got hot and they took down powerhouses along the way. Like he hadn't won an episode since week six when he won in week 14. Had not even won, won had actually had three bottom three finishes and only two top three finishes, zero wins when he won. And you look at Stefan's grid, dude had won five of the first 11 episodes had a number, another two win or two top three. And uh, yeah, it's just, I, I love the grid. I could stare at the grid all day. Uh, my favorite season actually is, um, was season 10, which I think was Vancouver. I'm certain it was actually Vancouver. And we that was the that Kristen Kish. Uh, oh, yes. And, and so w- w- here's what I loved about that season is, first of all, it, it, she lost in restaurant wars, the most one of the most controversial eliminations in the history of Top Chef, an elimination that the judges even later, like in the press or whatever, conceded was just patently unfair. She grinds her way back through Last Chance Kitchen, you know, to get back to to the finals, which I think were in Alaska. Sheldon and Brooke probably are two of the best runner ups that we is it runners up runners up that we've ever seen. Uh, I like that Kristen, Brooke, and Sheldon kind of represent kind of like three different table legs of, of American cooking at this moment in time. You had like – you had Josh, the, the wax mustache and beard guy from Texas who, who goes out on foie gras torchon. I mean who does that in one day? Who, who, Someone who, who has a lot of The to go out yeah. – on foie gras torchon, so give it up for the guy. He's meanwhile he's there's enough assholery because he and the other dude from Texas, uh, John, who I think was a returnee last season, are constantly going at. So you get just you know you get tension. And like Kristen's just a wonderful chef. Kristen Kish, I love her game. She's a beautiful technical chef. I love technical chefs. Nothing wrong with Isaac, the guy from Louisiana who's going to make you a big etouffee and just throw everything in a goddamn pot. I I'm there's a part of me that loves that, but I love a good technical yes. chef. I love her. I'm also a big thing of mine is I don't, this is like my, my boyfriend and I, this is a constant battle. Like, like if we're going to get one dessert, he's going to invariably want the chocolate gooey Mm. molten lava, dark chocolate thing with ooze of chocolate topped with chocolate whipped cream or some shit on a plate of chocolate. Exactly. Whereas I'm like, like Kristen will come out with a matcha goat milk custard, you know, or, or some elevated pound cake with like a lavender. And see, that's my, that's my jam. So I'm a huge season 10 fan. Uh, just thought they structured it beautifully and great tension. Just also just really top line talent. Well, Kevin, I want to ask you about this because this was one of the great controversies of the season, of the of the entire show, Top Chef, the whole empire. Um, the Kristen vote off will go down as maybe the most controversial moment of the show because of this little game theory factor, which is she had won three out of the four previous rounds, crushing it, and then she was voted out in that restaurant wars. When you're Tom Colicchio. And you're at the judges' table. Should you have the men in black mind eraser and forget about your previous accomplishments and just right here, right now, this dish, I am going to be grading this dish. 
Do you think you'd be able to do that to separate what you did in the past to analyze the now? I mean, that, that, I mean, that's a really good question because, I mean, first of all, it prompts the question, should you? I mean, should you be able to carry your previous reputation? In other words, it, it's almost it, – it's a great academic debate. Do you just look at the text or do you consider the text in a larger cultural historical context? Right? Like, like here's Kristen. She shows up at the chopping block on week 11 in Restaurant Wars. She has zero bottom three finishes, right? She has four wins out of nine opportunities, another top three. She, I mean, I'm looking at the quick fire challenge. I mean, did she, I don't even, like, she had, that was the year that, you remember Kaneko? Yeah. She, like, did really, let's, no, no, actually, no, she, she was bottom three. I'm looking well, Kaneko at. Kaneko uh, won, Kaneko, by the way, little, little side note here, 43% of all top, sh- top chef winners won their first elimination challenge. You're kidding. Think about that. I did the 40, math. So, no, wait, so wait, let me get this straight. In other words, basically what you're saying is when we tune in on December 7th, the person who wins the first elimination challenge historically has a 43% chance of winning the whole show? It is six out of the 14 seasons the first elimination challenge predicted the winner so when we draft that person is just the best percentage (laughs) like that no matter who they are no matter what biography they arrive with that that is it but no i mean i think that's a really good question i mean i'm it's sort of the in the nba like do you does demarcus cousins get dinged more because he has a reputation Right. Mm. Even though the play is the play. Right. There's either contact or there's not contact. If somebody is at fault, you should be able to kind of pixelize the faces and bodies and not know who it is. And it's still it's the same basketball play. I mean, I'm sort of for considering past. I like me too. I think that if you basically kicked ass, you should get a slight benefit of the doubt. I, I think that's that's human. But I mean. Had that ever happened? Because ultimately, we want to see the juggernauts go at it. We want to see at the top of the mountain that it is the heavyweights, right? right? I don't, yeah, I don't want to see Josie. I want to see Kristen. <laughs> I don't want to see Josie. Sorry, Jim. I, I, I like dynasties. I, I I want to see the best people compete when I tune in on a Thursday night. But I mean, that was just a really good season. And anyway, I, I'm a huge Kristen Kish fan. And uh, you, wait, you said she had done some other show. Yeah, she did. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping we can get her on this podcast um, because I have a connection. One of my friends, Kyle Martino, who uh, Mark Stein, a friend Mark Stein um, at the New York Times, broke the news that Kyle Martino is now running for president of the United States Soccer Federation or whatever you oh, call it. Oh, and they need it. some help, don't they? They do. They do. And he is a great candidate, one of the top analysts of um, of soccer. He is the Gatorade High School Player of the Year across the entire country from Staples High School. Shout out to Staples High School. Um, and I, I'm hoping we can use that connection. She did a show, 36 Hours on Travel Channel, where they go around the country and do 36 hours in that city. I want that job. Um, it, that has you written all over it. I think we're I only doing job. this podcast so that you can do that job one day. I want. That I think job. that's it. So, Kristen, let's get Kristen on the show. Kyle, you got to make it happen. So those are, um, you know, those. You have any other, like, I mean, other favorite chefs, kind of over the years? Mm. Well, I think ultimately. 
Brooke, I think, is the, my favorite sh- chef, not necessarily the personality, but the, the best chef. And last year she came back. I don't know how you feel about the whole chefs coming back and competing against the rest, but it, to me, it feels like, you know, NBA players going back and playing in the NCAA tournament. You know, it's like you just have a leg up on the rest of the competition. Yeah, I, I feel like it. I, I can't imagine there's a greater sort of advantage you can get than having done it before. I mean, the show is the parameters of each channel. I mean, you. I, I suspect the learning curve between season one and two is enormous. I mean, right. more than season two and season ten. If you were so to do it Brooke, every single year. Brooke, in terms of I want to eat her her dishes, her meals, like I think she is my favorite chef that's been on the show. She lost at the last second um, to Kristen, and obviously she was a worthy winner of Top Chef. So she came back already having basically gone to game seven at the last second, you know? And so she is um, – So she was basically the 2014 Spurs. Yes. Yes. And she – it's exactly it. That's exactly it. Coming back from the 2013 loss against the Heat, coming back and winning it all. Um, yeah, she is the Spurs. Yeah. I, what about I, you? Do you I, have any any favorites? May, like, May Lynn, everything she did was magic. Mm. Like, she like, final dinner kanji with carnitas. I mean, come on, that's 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 ridiculous. <laughs> there have been so many good kanji dishes on the on the ship. Um, Paul Key. Different debate for a different time, right? Like whether you can appreciate somebody's food, even if they're uh, a bad actor. Uh, did a kanji with scrambled eggs, uni, kale, and and smoked albacore, which is, I think, about as perfect as a dish is. I love Voltaggio, Michael Voltaggio, I think. And I, I, I was a big fan of Ink during its early years. I, I didn't enjoy it as much in its, in its, its later incarnation. But, uh, and, and it, I, mean, I mean, Jeremy Ford, just because I, I, that, that's my style of food. Just, yeah. just, it's clean, fish oriented, all about it. Um, I, you know, I, I like Stephanie Izzard. I mean, I, I that sneaky good season four. Um, Richard Blaze. I mean, there, there's some, there was some really good chefs out of there as well. And Kwame. Talk about Kwame. Oh, yeah. My, the fa- my favorite contestant who's never made the top four. And um, I mean, love everything he's about. Love, you know, again, classically trained, but kind of brings in his heritage. Like we'll do jollof rice and, and like goat okra stews and but like and then he'll roll out a roti kind of a West Indian flair mm-hmm. but has worked at Eleven Madison Park. My understanding is I didn't see him on the contestant list, but I think is are they doing like a lat? By the way, can we just say that the Last Chance Kitchen is the greatest kind of wrinkle a show's ever introduced midway it's through great. its existence. It's great because because for all the people who are like, oh, I love that person. They shouldn't have gone home. You can still watch. And there's an added layer of competition. I just love the idea that you're staring down Tom Colicchio and he's the only voice in the room. He is so intimidating. Like I almost feel like that's even more intense. The Last Chance Kitchen, which is the consolation bracket if you get voted off the show. But the only judge is Tom. Also, the other great thing about it is it did it's able to correct bad decisions right like, like without top chef Kristen doesn't win that season it gives you a double elimination it i think it better ensures the best talent ultimately is in the finale which i'm always for it, it's the difference between having single elimination in ca or like best of seven right you want to ensure mm-hmm. that the, the best talent gets there but so is kwame he's not back but he is like he's on the list of, he's not on the list of top chef colorado chef testants but he is featured in the little picture gallery of people coming in 
Yeah, I'm going to be looking this up. Um, there's a story right now that says Top Chef judges reveal curveball factor that will affect upcoming season 15. Um, ahead of the season 15 premiere of Top Chef, which is Thursday, December 7th, the judges of the beloved Bravo hit are previewing what fans expect as a competition heads to Colorado. Da 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 da. The curveball is that they're going to have four people come back and go through the last chance kitchen to be ultimately on the show. So does that mean that they're going to come on like in two months? I don't know. I mean, is that they just feed into like a final four episode or that's interesting. We'll, we will, we will find out. Top chef alums will be returning from previous seasons to compete for their own spot and redemption in the current season of the show. Judged by Tom Colicchio, the veterans will not just compete against themselves, but against new just, just eliminated chef testants from the main competition in Colorado. So yeah, it sounds like they're just gonna. Uh, There's a they're gonna be system. in that consolation bracket. Uh, oh, let's Marcel talk. is on there. Ooh. Wow. Who else? I think is I saw like I think Jen Carroll is also yes. returning. Total badass Jen Carroll. Like Jen Carroll food. is on. Kwame was my number one pick when I did the draft with my wife a couple years ago. Kwame did better than the other number one pick, Kwame Brown crazy talented definitely our better the better Kwame prospect (laughs) in the history of Kwame prospects in competition uh have you got a chance to look at the um the season 15 list of uh contestants any thoughts first thought Connecticut yay as a Connecticuteer myself Kevin we have a Connecticut contestant Connecticut has never produced a uh, contestant that's right. I did the math here, and I shared with you the answer to this question before we came on. But I got it right, did I not? You got it right. The top five, top five um, states who have never had a Top Chef contestant in its history of 14 seasons. You guessed it. For the listeners out there who want to play along, the answer is... It was Ohio. Yes, which Ohio. is you think about the big electoral college states that don't have. I mean, Cleveland does some decent food. Uh, I, I'm not as big a fan of Greenhouse Tavern as some. It's just really heavy, but it's good. But you know, in Cincinnati, it's funny. So you you start thinking about those electoral states that don't have like huge culinary capitals, and that was sort of my my thinking. Um, but I'm mean, actually the Midwest. I mean. One of my favorite NBA restaurants is in uh, Indianapolis, Bluebeard. Uh, I've had great. I've never eaten there. It's a if you do a Pacers game, not that you'll have any occasion to do Pacers anytime soon, but but uh, Blueberry is fantastic. I mean, one of the best meals NBA meals I've had in the last couple of seasons. I ate really well in Milwaukee this trip. Uh, mm. My last most recent trip to Milwaukee, which is have you had a good meal in Phoenix? Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. 
You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. I did have a good meal in, uh, I, I did have a good meal in Phoenix. Arizona is number two on the list of most populous states that do not have a contestant on Top we, Chef. I went to uh, Virtu, V-I-R-T-U, in Honest Craft in, in Scottsdale and had a, had a pretty damn solid meal. Enjoyed it. Well, Amin Hassan says he can get me into uh, Pizza Bianco. Definitely do and- it. I, you know, it's funny. I went skeptically last year. Is it really worth the hype? Um, it's really good. It's mm. really, really good. It's just good at what it does. It's like we've got these six or eight pizzas. This is what we do. It's ridiculously affordable relative to eating in these kinds of places on the coasts. Uh, I like to go at three o'clock because it's empty and it can be really hard to get into. And it is uh, it, it's really good. So Connecticut is one of the seven most populous states that do not have a Top Chef contestant. So this is a long time coming for Tyler Anderson of Simsbury, Connecticut. I actually haven't eaten there despite my roots in Westport, Connecticut. Um, his his restaurant is Millwright's Restaurant and Tavern. Uh, so he I don't know his story or how he ended up in Connecticut, but I am rooting for that guy because he is a Connecticuteer. So Tyler Anderson opened a new restaurant in West Hartford I ate at about 10 weeks ago called oh. the cook and the bear which is as is becoming customary everywhere in america is a Wait, we both ate there that was tyler that was tyler i think the cook and the bear that was him you were there you were at that dinner i was there yeah, yeah the, it, the whole know, espn crew that we was, all went out to dinner for the preseason meal at the cook and the bear that's tyler yeah that was tyler so um you know i mean oh. you saw i mean I, I feel like we're now at a point in this country where there is just brisket raining down in the in the cities and villages of america like you can you can't throw a rock without it used to be if you wanted that very specific brand of of barbecue you would need to go to a mecca right you'd have to tour central texas or go to down east north carolina if you wanted vinegar based or go to memphis or or or, you know or kansas city or whatever it is and now these places i mean i think that we will look back at this decade as the trend of oh hey Every city has about seven or eight real smokehouses. Well, I will say I was sitting across from Zach Lowe. I uh, was with Brian Winhurst. We're all sitting at a table. We ordered like three rounds of that brisket. It was so fucking good. It was good. It was good. It was, it was- I'm not going to say it's like best in the country, but if for a West Hartford, Connecticut restaurant, you would not expect that kind of fare there. And it was delicious. It was the. It was fatty. It yeah. was See, I like a charred. fatty brisket. I, if I yeah. get a lean brisket, I, I'm just not interested. That's not why I come if, here. If it doesn't have that like black bark on the top and a layer of that gelatinous yes. just top onto it, like I'm, I'm not eating that. 
I want the really juicy, fatty, black crust on the top. That is my ideal uh, brisket. And so that that chef, Tyler Anderson, is going to be one of the contestants on the show. But there is a, a big contingency from New York, from California, you know, the more likely scenarios um, for all these contestants. But there is Laura Cole. Can we talk about this for a second? Laura Cole is coming from the Denali National Park, Alaska, and competing on the show. Yeah, you know, my, my, my scout says, is I mean, classically trained in the Northeast. I think she is a Northeasterner, but just kind of wanted to do one of those things where, look, I just, I don't want to be in the meat grinder. I mean, go out and into a remote location. I can, you know, locally sourced and products and, and vendors and, and stuff and just kind of do my thing in the hinterland of Alaska. So I think it's a really interesting background. Uh, I'll be watching... Uh, a couple chefs from Oakland. Uh, Tanya Holland has one of these, one of the great modern soul food restaurants in America and, and Brown Sugar Kitchen, just a, a place that's really well regarded up in Oakland. Uh, there's also one of my favorite contestants here is is, is Two David Fu, who is uh, has done a series of Vietnamese pop up dinners in Oakland. But my favorite biographical line ever for a, a Top Chef contestant, which is. He is the heir, or or he is the son, or grandson, or great grandson of a of the of a of a fish sauce empire from Vietnam that is like 130 <laughs> years old. Like like he is he is the the, the fish sauce heir, and uh, so it has come is from that- obviously a centuries old culinary background. Like his people were sort of like this stuff's great. Let's just bottle right. it. We and should we should it. count the number of times that he uses fish sauce in his dishes. We should keep all right over under. Let's do it over There's under. Not enough fish sauce in food. I, I <laughs> love fish sauce. I, over uh, under on two and a half dishes. I'm setting the over under at two and a half dishes. And now this has to incorporate. Is he going to last on the show? Because two and a half, not a really high number. But if he's only on for one episode, of course that's a high number. So it's like two being and from a half like the Grenadine Empire. Or like the, uh, I mean, it, it's it, it's just such a very specific thing, and yet you think about it, and fish sauce is enormous. I mean, you, I mean, that is a cornerstone of Asian cooking. It would I be like, like the, it'd be like being Heinz, a high, a member of the Pennsylvania Heinz family or something. Are uh, you going to take the over or the under on this? I'm writing it down. 2. Over 5, under. Oh, I mean, he's going to be using fish sauce. I mean, I, I'd say over. You go over. I'll for, take the under just for fun. And. Uh, Bruce Kalman, who is the chef at Union in Pasadena, I, I'm watching very closely. Union is one of those chef's restaurants, a, a place that culinary types in Los Angeles really respect. Uh, the kind of gourmands. Pasadena has historically been a food wasteland in Los Angeles, which is otherwise an amazing food city. Uh, a couple places have opened there in the last year. Lost at Sea, I'm a big fan of. And, and Union is, right now, I consider one of the better restaurants in the, in the, in the city. And particularly in Pasadena, which is desperately needed. So I'm going to watch him because uh, he's also got like, uh, I think he's got pasta bar, uh, a bread expert. So so that should be a really interesting uh, candidate to watch. I'll be doing that. Brother Luck. Great name. Brother Luck. Brother Luck. He is. Um, so he's the hometown hero, Colorado Springs. And he has won an episode of Chopped, which I think is important because going back to the earlier conversation – the nature of the bright lights and the ticking clock, I, I think that probably he won an episode of Chop. So I, I think that's got to be a good credential. Have you eaten in Denver before? Because I've, I ate there once. Jonah Carey, great writer, covers baseball. 
uh, for CBS Sports, he recommended as a Denver uh, resident, Rioja. It was a great meal in Denver, downtown Denver. Know it. Um, but this restaurant in Colorado Springs or uh, four by Brother Luck, I've never eaten there. There's also one, uh, another contestant, Carrie Baird, who is the executive chef at Bardot in Denver. Have you eaten there? I am not. I mean, so when I go to Denver, there's a place that it used to be called Pinche Tacos. And now it's got a stupid name like tacos, whiskey, tequila. I don't even know. But I think they do that elevated street taco as well as any place in America. I, I love Guisados here in Los Angeles, and I think they do a great job at that. But that's sort of let's take street tacos and sort of elevate them and work with some different sauces and and different braises. It's just it's a really and it's it's just one of those things where I go to that city. That's what I want, and that's what I generally do. I haven't really explored the Denver culinary scene at all. Like it's just it's a largely because I'll waste one of my meals on on pinche just because I it's just I love it. Well, I went to uh, Great Divide, which is a great brewery, one of the best beers out there. Uh, they produce it annually. Great Divide, anything by Great Divide in Denver, you're going to enjoy. And I'm a beer guy. Are you a beer um, guy? You know, I've never, I've never done the beer thing. I, of all the little weird culinary obsessions and everything else, like I've never, I'm not anti beer. It just never, it's never been my thing. It's, um, it's why I run. Okay. It's why I run because, you know, I can have whiskey and that won't really pack on the pounds too much, but I just love a good beer. I love a good stout. Um, I was in a fraternity in college, so like I grew up on Bush Light. Uh, <laughs> but then when I figured out <laughs> in the South, um, it's either Natty Light, Natural Light or Bush Light. And so once you fu- once you're drinking Bush Light all the time, once someone hands you over like a Yeti stout, you're just – you're blown away. It's like dessert. It's delicious. Um, so Denver has the great divide. It's a great brewery in Denver. Uh, I've been to Rioja, but I gotta say, Kevin, I stay away from the hometown favorites, the hometown, uh, heroes on top chef. I just feel like it's a little too much added pressure. Only LeBron James can win that. Yeah. I, has there ever been, I mean, in your research has any local ever actually won their city? Oh, that's a good question. We'll sh- we should. I'm going to look into that. We've got for episode several episodes two. to go. You can just put that one in the, <laughs> in, in, in the hopper. Uh, any closing remarks before we go? I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the draft. Uh, which, by the way, you need to come up with some score. I know you and Allison have kind of your scoring system. I do think there needs to be acknowledgement for bottom three and top yep. three. Yep. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to defer to you on, on, a, on a system of scoring. Here's what I'll do. I'll come up with a system, a very loose system, just kind of the nuts and bolts. Then we can, you know, iron out the cross your T's and dot your I's on the, on the scoring system. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, let's have some skin in the game here, Kevin, because I feel like we've done a little bit of homework on the contestants. We haven't actually watched any of the show yet, but based on the bios, I'm wondering if you have a captain of your team where you look at a bio or just, you know, you have a, you have a feeling, a gut reaction to, uh, their name or whether it's, you know, brother luck is a pretty cool name. Um, would you, brother luck sounds like, like, 
it sounds like a wire character. Yes. Well, Brother Muzon, Brother was Muzon, on the who wire. reads like yeah. the New Republic and and <laughs> wears a bow tie. Brother Muzon is one of the great sort of bit characters <laughs> in a procedural drama ever. Actually, Wire's not a procedural drama, please. Um, so I was wondering if you'd be game to pick a play, pick a contestant here that you get double points in our scoring system. So you got to pick someone who you feel like is going to be long, uh, who's going to stick around for the whole sh- whole show. Would you be game to pick one just based yeah, on the bio? Yeah. It's, it's a tough one because – so on, on, if you kind of look at the profile of chefs that tend to succeed, I mean Joseph Flam would be an interesting one. You know, He's an executive chef in Chicago at a leading Michelin star Italian restaurant, right? Like that, that's – when it comes to pedigree, that, that's not a bad way to go. So in that respect, I, I would think going there, but I'm instead going to go to – I'm gonna go to Bruce Kalman. I, I think he's mm. just got there's there, there's just a lot of. I mean, I know it's local and it's union and and, and whatnot, but he's uh, I mean, he's a guy who's expert with like with with pasta. Uh, he knows he can do desserts really well. So uh, there, I think he's done like bread. So I just feel like that range of. I mean, he he's basically has a very well respected established restaurant in a big city. He has training in a bunch of different culinary areas. So he's got a little five-tool action there. So I'm going I'm to go with Kalman, and, and I get to root for a local. Hey, I, I have a feeling, Kevin. I'm on to you, man. I have a feeling that you got a tip. Being an L.A. guy, do you know Bruce? I do not know Bruce. I, I But if, if Bruce I is listening, like you might I would love to come into your restaurant and, and, and be, <laughs> you know, given the royal treatment, sure. I mean, I, but, uh, I, yeah. I feel like you might have gotten a tip from Bruce. I, I, you know, you know what's really funny? Having worked on a reality show before, like nothing is secret in this culture anymore. You cannot get information about like a, a, a reality contestant show that is taped in the last six months. And by all means, everybody's home. Anybody could talk. It is incredible that in this day and age with Reddit and everything else that somehow no one knows anything about this show. Like nobody knows who won. I mean, these people are out in the community. They're 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 basically part of the elites. I mean, more people know them than they know people. Like it's it should, by all accounts, we should not have to work very hard to find out like who got eliminated, who won. But it is amazing. I don't know if it's those NDFs that they make them sign, but it's incredible how tight lit people are. Yeah, really is. I mean, it was. Um, I feel like in Miami, we should have heard something. Because it's a very popular place to have top chefs, and they it's a very small community in Miami. Um, Nina Compton was on the show. Uh, she was – there's just been – I mean, Stubborn Seed is now a hot new restaurant from Jeremy Ford. Um, Dale Talday, I think from season four, was he? Um, he has a restaurant in South Beach as well, and I feel like we should have heard something, but it never gets out. So maybe – I like your alibi. You're going to take Bruce Kalman. I'm going to go with – I'm going to butcher his first name, no pun intended, Rogelio Garcia. Uh, good one. He's born in Mexico City, raised in Los Angeles, Los Angeles and Napa by a single mother. Rogelio Garcia began his culinary career humbly in high school as a dishwasher for a restaurant in Yountville. Soon after, he was cooking in Napa at Hurley's and Angele, spending his days off staging at Yountville Red and San Francisco Michael – San Francisco's Michael Mina. But the thing is, he's the executive chef at one of the best restaurants I've ever eaten at. He's the commissary over on the Presidio. Popular uh, NBA site, by the way. Popular NBA restaurant. 
who's how do you know that? I, I just got like it's a it's a place that teams will go. Uh, not necessarily the Spurs. I think they have been there, but um, I, it's, a, it's a popular NBA choice when teams stay at like the Four Seasons or, or those uh, St. Regis in uh, San Francisco. What what NBA teams go for? Is it just straight Italian? Like, yeah. what's the most expensive Italian restaurant in the city? It, Boom, we're going there. I mean, listen, the Spurs rightfully put a premium on the on the, on on a dinner, and but at the end of the day, it's very interesting. As much as we think, oh, you know, Pop's a big foodie, he is, but it's they kind of confine themselves to Northern Italian. I mean, they want to go to a place with good pastas, Northern Italian meats, and there's got to be a lot of good Brunello on the, on the wine list. In other <laughs> words, I don't, it's not like they're not going to the pop-up hot place or the, or, or the tasting menu joint with gale, you know, molecular gastronomy or whatever else. Like, like by and large, they're pretty conservative in their palate in that respect. I mean, they're going to eat really well, but it's going to be nine times out of ten Northern Italian. Well, I um in in Charlotte, Mike Dunleavy and I we watched a Duke game, a Duke basketball game against South Carolina. And me as a weight guy, it was great to sit down and watch Mike Dunleavy watch his Duke Blue Devils lose in the tournament. Uh, <laughs> and we sat down at Midwood Steakhouse, I mean Midwood Smokehouse here in Charlotte. And in walks in. He's asked me. He's like, "Is this the place to get barbecue?" And, and Charlotte said, "Yeah, it's a great place." In walks in. Cody Zeller, the center of the local team, still after several years in Charlotte, he still goes to Midwood. So it's a legit spot. NBA players like like to eat. If you're going to get barbecue, you're going to go to Midwood Smokehouse. And if you want fried chicken, you go to Bojangles. The other day, the Milwaukee oh, man. Bucks. We, I was just talking about Bojangles steak biscuit. Oh, like, yeah. When I went north, people didn't know that like steak biscuit, such a thing existed. Like that is a, even if you go like growing up in the South, I mean, on a road trip, a Bojangles steak biscuit is like still to this day, one of my favorite guilty pleasure foods that I probably don't eat more than twice a decade. In college, we called it Bojangles. We just, it was, that, that is what you eat. A Cajun filet biscuit from Bojangles was a staple of the Saturday football game. So we get a tailgate. You just order a shit ton of fried chicken and biscuits. You get the coleslaw, the vinegar-based coleslaw. And I don't want this mayo, like a, a soup of mayo with a couple cabbage slices thrown in there. I want the vinegary, the tangy, the uh, – I don't usually like radicchio, but I like a little bit of there in that, in that coleslaw. And look, Bojangles is a good spot for fried chicken. I actually think Popeye's is better. This is going to make me uh, – <laughs> this is going to be heresy in, in Charlotte. But I actually like Popeye's better, just their chicken. I think the spices are just better. Um, but the NBA players, they love them some Bojangles. Hassan Whiteside, who's from here in Charlotte, outside of Charlotte, every time he comes into town, he just – he gets a huge batch of Bojangles fried chicken for the locker room. And the players love it. The other day, Milwaukee Bucks were in town. As Giannis Antetokounmpo is like grabbing a very healthy meal after the game, Jason Terry just walks out with a giant bag of Bojangles. Jason Terry, who him. might be the oldest NBA him. player. Good he's for like, you. You, you know what? what? You're, you're still playing in the league and you're 40 years old. You can eat whatever the damn hell you want. Whatever I want. And Jason Terry just rolls out with the Bojangles because he knows. He knows what it's all about. Yeah. It's always Bojangles. It, it is actually probably Charlotte, North Carolina's greatest contribution um, other than – other than Harvey Gant, who I, whom I worked for in 1996, but but Bojangles is, I, I think, probably Charlotte, North Carolina's greatest contribution to civilization. That's right. That's right. And um, 
you know, I last year Jamie Lynch was a Charlotte. He he's the chef behind Five Church here in Charlotte. He lived in the apartment complex that I lived in last year. I was walking my dog, Kevin. I was walking my dog outside uh, right by 7th Street here in Charlotte. And I noticed this very uh, tattooed guy. Like He was wearing a t-shirt and just covered in tattoos. And I was like walking up to him like, that guy looks really familiar. I couldn't place it, couldn't place it, figured it out. He was walking his dog, Jamie Lynch, Mr. No Immunity from the last season where he gave up his immunity after the quick fire and then lost in the elimination challenge. He hashtags everything, hashtag no immunity on Instagram because of such a bold decision. I mean, if you go down because you gave up your immunity, man, I would put that in every hashtag. I would probably tattoo it to my forehead. This dude, that is a ballsy move by by Jamie Lynch to do the I, I no immunity I don't think thing. nobility pays in this guy. It is the equivalent of like having five fouls. Ref whistles your teammate for a foul that you committed – you get that break and just raising your hand and saying, no, I'll take the six. I, I just, I don't, it's nothing I can really support. You know, um, it's like in GoldenEye 007, the video game where you die, but they give you most honorable and you're just kind of like, yeah, but I'm dead. You know, it's like, it wasn't, let's say it took a lot of balls partly because it was probably not the plus play. And as a guy who works in percentages and analytics, it probably wasn't the the most, the better probability in fact it was the worst decision because you have a free pass to the next round and it was so late i think that played into his decision right is like i'm i'm so late in the game here and if i get a free pass that's not fair so he gave it up he lost and i'm sure there's going to be some drama in season 15 just like that uh maybe we can get jamie on the show to see if he regrets it because he still is playing it up big time do you know Um, what i'm looking at what are you looking at bojangles nutritional information page don't do it. <laughs> All right. Which has more calories? <laughs> the okay. gravy biscuit or the sausage and egg biscuit? Okay, so I'm basing this answer off the fact that the McDonald's Egg McMuffin is actually not calorie packed. So in my head, I know the sausage uh, the sausage egg McMuffin is different than the actual like Canadian bacon ham egg McMuffin. I'm gonna go with the gravy biscuit has more calories. Am I wrong? You are wrong. It is the gravy biscuit has 460 calories. The uh, sausage and egg 580, leading mm. the column, tied with the Southern fillet biscuit. Um. Which I actually don't know what the Southern Filet. I think it's the Cajun Filet. It's actually known as the Cajun yes. Filet biscuit yes. now. Uh, no, no, the Cajun Plus is five fifty. Someone needs to find out what the Southern Filet biscuit is. I cannot find it. And uh, well, and my just, and of course my steak biscuit, which is five seventy, which comes in second. I love the steak biscuit from. I'm Bojangles. pretty sure the Southern Filet is just like a fried chicken sandwich. Is that? But it? they they call it a Southern Filet because okay, you can't gotcha, just call gotcha, it a gotcha, filet. Gotcha. It's like when they say like the classic. BLT instead of just calling it a BLT it sounds boring or the classic hamburger instead of just calling it a hamburger they're going to throw the classic in there to make it a little bit more appealing so they call it the southern fillet i could be wrong but the cajun fillet is where it's at the bow so, the botato breakfast bowl has 1212 uh oof. calories second only oof. to the jambalaya bowl with biscuit which is 1260 i love bojangles i i, I love you bojangles i don't even care that i just uttered a four-digit calorie count on one day. Um, well, I, I want to do one thing before we go. Yes. On We're going to 
we tape this on a Friday and it's going to be put out early next week. The show comes out on Thursday. But here's a stat that I want to throw at you for when we actually watch the show. Keep it in mind. The Top Chef winner who won their season's first elimination challenge, six out of the 14 winners won their first elimination challenge. Think about that. Wait. 43% so you're of winners. That there is a three in seven chance that if you – in other words, whoever wins this this first elimination challenge next week – Basically goes on and has a 43% chance. The field only has a 57% chance, at least historically speaking. Is that what you're saying? There's like 15 rounds a season. And if you win the first one, you're basically one out of two odds to go on to win the whole thing. So when you watch season 15, episode one, keep an eye on who wins that first elimination challenge. There's the quick fire in the beginning, which weeds out someone usually. And then they get immunity or they get a prize or they get a car or something like that. And then there's the elimination challenge where the top three are voted and then the winner comes out of that top three. The bottom three are voted and then the loser comes out of that. But the winner of the elimination challenge, pretty good odds on winning the whole thing. So when we do our draft, Kevin, that's who you're going for. I I mean, statistically, that is a pretty big even if you have no affinity for style culinary sensibility or personality you were going i mean that is that's 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 the that's the smart play that i mean it's it's drafting play. the seven one guy because he's fucking seven one yes. you know i don't need to do any interviews i just know that it's really hard to find a really good seven one guy who can play basketball um that's amazing all right tom so, i'm really psyched for december 7th and we will then be able to kind of officially you know we, we, we will we will launch this thing and uh, have some skin in the game as you say I'm excited. Uh, pack your knives and go. Yes, that that is that is the show. I'm excited. Um, the one thing I will say, Kevin, is I'm nervous about losing to you on this draft. I'm nervous. I'm, I feel like we have similar sensibilities on this, and you're going to pick a lot of my guys. But we'll save that for episode two. All right, Tom. It's a pleasure. This is pack your knives. Oh.